following a group of 10 young people in a series of facilitated workshops on issues relating to the climate crisis and the challenges we all face. There is no planet B. This is a journey through the climate crisis on KCLR. If burning fossil fuels was so bad that it threatened our very existence, how could we just continue like before? A journey through the climate crisis is funded by commissioning a man with a television license fee. Hello and welcome back. We are on episode three of A Journey Through the Climate Crisis, a 10-part documentary series where we follow 10 young people from Osri Youth as they take part in a series of facilitated workshops on issues related to the climate crisis and the challenges we all face. I'm Shannon Redmond. I'll be your narrator throughout the programme and throughout the series. And as well, I have gone on this journey with the group I'm telling you, you're in for a treat. Today's topic is quite an interesting one, as today's episode is called The Hot Seat of Power. The group of participants will be meeting Minister of State at the Department of Housing, Local Government and Heritage. It's quite the mouthful. But a very important job nonetheless. It is Minister Malcolm Noonan. They will be meeting with him shortly as they have quite a few questions for him on how we run our country and the things that we do to help climate change in Ireland. But before we delve in to that, we are going to take a look at last week's homework. So welcome back, everyone. Um, Before we move on to the later part of the episode where we'll have Minister Malcolm Noonan here, we might just look at the homework that we did over the last week. Um, And that was where you agreed to find three people in your lives who will commit to changing their behaviours by adopting three of the easy behaviour changes that we all identified that might actually help to combat climate change. So we might start with Adam. Are you happy to share yeah. your homework, Adam? Yeah. Great. Um, so I asked three people um, what they would do and I told them uh, they should uh, turn off lights, electricity and turn off the tap when they're brushing their teeth and to uh, and to wear your clothes once and not wash them again. So with the laundry, um, to not wash your clothes once and then wash them again. Great. And how how did they how did these people get on over the week? Did um, they find it difficult to change or or easy? They found a few things difficult because they wanted to wash their clothes to make sure they were clean and not sweaty and all that. Okay. And for electricity, uh, they found it all right. And brushing their teeth, they found it all right. So do you think that maybe it might be a habit that people just throw the clothes into the, the laundry basket after wearing them once and then into the washing machine? I would say yes, because they probably think they're dusty or have something on them and they just want to put them in the washing to have fresh clothes or clean clothes. Thanks, Adam. Matthew, how about yourself? How did you get on? Well, the three things I asked three people to do were to stop wasting electricity, mostly to uh, stop leaving the lights on, to stop wasting water, so have shorter showers, and to recycle a bit more properly. Because recycling, probably due to the fact that it's such a complicated thing at present, is usually not done properly in Ireland. So I wanted to get them to do that. And yeah, they've been making a good bit of progress. 
um, the odd light is sometimes left on in the odd room every now and again, but it's going, it's going all right. And we recently figured out, I myself figured this out as well, that you're not meant to crush cans to recycle them. You're actually meant to leave them as they are when you buy them. You just need to wash them out and then leave them to dry and then you recycle them. So the more you know. So out, out of the three behaviours, Matthew, which do you, would you think that people struggle the most with? I'd say probably either the water one or the lights one. Because okay. once you learn how to recycle properly, you would recycle properly. It's just when it comes to electricity and when it comes to using water, that's a lot of habits that you need to break. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just have to leave things on anyway. So it can be difficult. But, well, we'll get there. Yeah. Sounds, sounds like people make good progress though, over the week. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. Great. So Nola and Mita can't be here with us today, but let's check in to see how they got on with their homework. So um, in my house, we changed normal washing liquid to bio washing liquid. And we've, we saw that it's basically the same, but it's better for the environment. Then also we've adapted to um, turn off the lights every time we go out of the room. And I think it's, impro- it's it's helping with the electricity bill. And um, also when we have a shower, the few minutes while the water is getting hot, um, we put a bucket of water and collect the cold water and then we just use it for mopping the floor. Okay, so for my three behavioural changes that I adapted at home was first to just implement LED lights around the house. We already have LED lights in most rooms, but just to swap out the bulbs because they're more energy efficient and to save energy. Um, And the second was just to start recycling properly. So um, I made like my family read over like all the recycling uh, rules that are currently implemented in Ireland um, and just to make sure that what we're putting in the recycling bin is actually recyclable so it doesn't contaminate the whole bin and the third thing was just we tried to use less uh, we tried to use our car less and use public transportation more so just if we're we live in town so if we're going to town just walk or cycle or take the bus over and we did get a hybrid car as well so yeah that was a plus. Chesie and Sophia, you weren't here last week, but having listened to Matthew and Adam and the, t- the two girls, is there anything that, that you would like to add that you might think might be an easy behaviour to change? Sure, I, I suppose that with like when you're doing your laundry, like most people don't just like use the washing machine, just clean their clothes and that's it. Like Most people I know also tend to iron their clothes, which I mean, but it's not as good as just washing them when you don't need to, if that makes sense. Like, for clothes like pajamas, like, nobody is really going to see you in your pajamas, so why would you iron them? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, that's great, Chessie. Any excuse I get not to have to do ironing, I'm going to, I'm going to run with that. <laughs> Sophia, is there anything, any behaviour that you can think of that might be easy to change? Yeah, the easy to change is uh, we can... Uh, turn off the lights when we're not at home so the the electricity will be not used. That's great. Thanks, Sophia. The group of young people are becoming very aware of their actions at home and they are, of course, helping their families become that bit more environmentally aware by switching off the lights and not leaving those taps on. But there's been a knock on the door. 
and it is Minister Malcolm Noonan here to meet and potentially be grilled by the group from Ossera Youth. Question, tell me what you think about me. I've got my own diamonds in the... Hi everyone, uh, this week we have a special guest with us to chat to all our young people from the group. We'd like to welcome Minister Malcolm Noonan, Minister for Heritage, who's going to be in the hot seat today, answering lots of questions from our group members. You're very welcome, Minister. Thank you. So the young people from the group are going to put some questions to Minister Malcolm Noonan. Okay, uh, First of all, hello, it's great to be with you all and to chat about climate and all of the work we're doing in government and I'm looking forward to your questions. If it's okay, I might just explain a little bit about my own work uh, in heritage and electoral reform. And um, so the electoral reform part of it is important, particularly from young people's perspective, because around the whole climate and biodiversity crisis, um, I think it's really important that young people have a voice and have a say. And I think that's why this this type of programming is very important as well. Um, So what I did over the last uh, three years, uh, and particularly when we brought the legislation forward, was to establish for the first time in Ireland an electoral commission. And the electoral commission will oversee all of our electoral events. It'll oversee referendums, um, such as what we had, the marriage equality referendum and the repeal referendum. Now the electoral commission will take over the work of that. And and from how does this uh, impact on young people? Well, a number of things. We're now in the process of modernising the electoral register. So for the first time, you'll be able to go to uh, checktheregister.ie and register and pre-register Uh, as a 16 or 17 year old to vote when you turn 18. Um, That's important too because what I want the Commission to do is to do a huge amount of work around promoting our electoral system, our politics, how it works, how our democracy works. And I've also tasked it with looking at the possibility of reducing the voting age to 16 and we're particularly looking at the Scottish experience where the voting age has been reduced for certain elections. It's also been done in other countries um, and we want I want the Commission to be able to inform the um, the Oireachtas, uh, our, our TDs and Senators, as to how and if it is feasible to reduce the voting age. My, I have a personal view on it. I would love to see it reduced. I think it would transform our electoral system. I think particularly for local elections, but also for general elections, it will change uh, how candidates put themselves forward, uh, what they, they stand, platforms they stand on, but also it will increase um, young people actually participating in our electoral system. So I'm looking forward to that piece of work. Quickly then, I'll go on to the other parts of my portfolio. I'm also responsible for built, built in archaeological heritage, so all the castles and uh, the Rock of Cashel, the um, Dunmore Caves, all of those places in County Kilkenny which are really important. Uh, they're national monuments, so I'm responsible for them. And I'm also responsible for built heritage policy, given that we're recording in a heritage building here as well. So, uh, so we, we give um, lots of grants to uh, support the restoration of buildings and restoring our town centres and all of the derelict buildings across the country. And then the biggest chunk of my work is in... Uh, nature policy, so the natural heritage, which we call nature or biodiversity. So under my uh, remit, I have responsibility for marine protected areas, um, and that is the, uh, our objective to try and achieve 30% marine protection around the Irish seas uh, uh, by 2030, and we're well on track on doing that. Um, and and that, in, in when I say marine protection, what we're talking about is is not just lines on maps, 
uh, where you know certain species are protected. We're, we're ensuring that people and communities, and particularly fishers, have a say in how we protect our oceans, and uh, that's that's a big piece of work. Then I'm responsible for our rivers, so we're going to do an, a new river basin management plan. I'm responsible for invasive species. I'm responsible for our National Parks and Wildlife Service, and something that has appeared over the so that's our six national parks and 78 nature reserves across the country under our Nature 2000 network. And what some people have been hearing about quite a lot over the last couple of weeks is something at European level called the Nature Restoration Regulation, which is uh, attempting to bring in a massive piece of binding legislation uh, from Europe and not just a directive where countries can ignore it for years and take the fines. It'll actually be imposed if it is successful, successfully brought in by the end of this year. And it will... It will put a, a responsibility on every member state to restore our habitats, our rivers, our agricultural habitats, even urban habitats, just having a good tree cover in urban centres, our coastal areas and our marine. And um, so if that's passed, it's going to put a really strong uh, legal framework, just like we have with the Climate Bill, for nature for, and for restoring nature in Ireland. So those are kind of the main areas. That's a whistle-stop tour of my um, of my responsibility, and it's a lot, and uh, it's brilliant, and I love the work that we're doing. So obviously, if the voting age did come down to 1716, I would have way more responsibility, but that wouldn't exactly be a bad thing in my eyes, because, well... I'm going to be a working adult soon, so why shouldn't I have a say on what goes on, you know? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I, you know, we, we were lobbied on this um, from the Irish Council of Secondary School students, and but we were also lobbied against doing it because there was uh, one conservative group who thought it was an adultification of, of young people. Um, at the same time, I, I don't know, will it, uh, will it have a positive or negative effect? I, my own view is that I, I think it would be positive. Um, I'll be going to Longitude next week weekend with my son to see Travis Scott and like you know I stand in the field at Longitude as I did last year and I say will these young people actually go out and vote if we, if we give them a vote um, and you know will it Im- improve voter turnout because the voter turnout particularly for local elections has been historically quite low 40-45% I think it was about 43% in Kilkenny and it doesn't result in a huge turnover of elected members because uh, most of the incumbents were returned and they're all good councillors, they're all fantastic, but y- you do want to give young people a chance. And a, so it's a, it's a really big question for a country to grapple with as to whether it's the right thing to do. And it, I, I don't believe in tinkering with the system. I think we should make a really informed decision as, as an Oireachtas as, to, as if it's the right thing to do. And for you, um, as, a, as a, a potential young voter, I mean, even regardless if we don't reduce the voting age, you will be able to impartially look at at political parties' manifestos or at individual and candidates' manifestos. I think as critical thinkers, you'll be able to quiz candidates when they arrive in your doors. And I think that's really important. That So aside of the voting age issue, I think it's really important that the Commission has the, has the, the ability to go out and really promote our democratic system, how important it is, how robust it is, and how... Um, fragile it is because we see with disinformation we see a lot of the online content how it could be undone in a country and next thing a country just bolts off to the far right very quickly and and that's that to me is quite dangerous i don't think it's going to happen here but you can't be complacent how would you protect the polar bears from the antarctica when the water is defrosting yeah we do have a role in that in fact we signed off um our Irish government uh we were in um Lisbon last year at a World Oceans Conference and we signed off on 
a huge historic agreement of protection of of uh, of um, a huge area of the North uh, Atlantic for protection of the high seas there. So we we are involved in international treaties as well. So as well as protecting the waters around the Irish economic area, we are also involved in big international agreements through things like the Ospar Convention, and through that we play a very strong role in trying to negotiate big international agreements. And last year then as well at, at the the Montreal Kunming Declaration, the COP15 on biodiversity, we were part of the signatories to that as part of the European Union. So we play a very, very strong, Ireland, the Irish state and Irish government, because we're a, a maritime nation, we play a very strong role in international agreements that ultimately are around protecting species like polar bear and then, um, again, trying to meet our climate targets. If every country plays their part, we can have a, a very significant impact on reducing um, the Earth's uh, warming, uh, not in the short term, but certainly in the longer term. On the subject, I suppose, of meeting our own climate targets, as I understand it, according to the EPA and Antoshka, Ireland is at present not meeting their climate targets and that when it comes to our current carbon budget, we're going to exceed it by between 24 and 34%, and then that's going to have to be carried over to the next carbon budget, meaning that it will be smaller, which will ultimately be bad for us. Do you think, then, Minister, that Ireland isn't doing enough? Clearly we're not doing enough. And um, I, I just, I, I again, it, it's... Um, we have a, a situ- it's not, our situation is not unique, but we have we do have a situation where our population is increasing. Um, I don't think we have managed to decouple our activity, our emissions from our consumption as a as a, as a people. And and so, okay, we've been through the COVID period where we thought emissions were going to go down really rapidly. They didn't, uh, and now we've come out of it. And the country is in full tilt, uh, full employment almost, I would say, on the verge of overheating. And um, we, as consumers, are still consuming large quantities of stuff, perhaps that we don't necessarily need. And perhaps, uh, you know, again, here's the, the controversial bit. I think it, it does require a certain responsibility on us as politicians to say that this isn't about incremental change. This is about actual radical, drastic change in all our lives in order to try and meet our, our targets for you young people to have a secure future on this planet and I, I'm not sure if our messaging is entirely correct and I do think uh, it's not politically expedient for me to say actually you shouldn't be driving that big car you shouldn't be doing this you shouldn't be doing that and we should be restricting our travel but you know and I saw President Higgins get, getting into a lot of hot water over questioning the whole model of economic growth that exists and he was right to call it. He may not have nuanced his argument very well, but he was right to say it. So, you know, it's a really tricky thing, the behavioural change. I know we're going to talk a bit about behavioural change, but the behavioural change part of it is really tricky because, you know, we're saying, oh, we can do nice things, we can recycle and we can cycle down to the shop and we can do a lot less things and we can um, plant wildflower meadows and not and no more may and all of this but it's, it's not going to cut it at this stage. So you're right, Matthew, in the sense that we're passing this problem along to the next generation, but also to the next government and the government after that, who are going to do, have to do the heavy lifting. And I think it's because we started so late that we're in this, in this bind that we should have started, you know, in the 1990s, really, uh, when we knew this problem was really acute. Um, so, 
yeah, I, I, I think we're not messaging it right. And secondly, um, the scale of change has to be rapid, has to be a steep decline in, in and, and technology won't fix it either. You know, solar panels and all of these things are brilliant, but it's not going to fix it. Um, the, the, the scale of change that we have to make is, is really, really immense in all of our lives. So in the Ukraine, in, on the hydric electric station, there was um, the situation that it breaks and the water uh, flow in the cities. So 80 cities are in a flood. How do you think how it will be like for Ukraine? It's well. First of all, it's um, it's a human disaster uh, on on a, on an immense scale. It's an economic disaster because it's flooded a lot of um, of of rich agricultural land, and it's an ecological disaster because of um, the impact on, on habitats. Uh, I know the European Union has committed ad additional funding, specifically in terms of of trying to recover the, uh, the lands. But while Ukraine is still in wartime, any Uh, post-war recovery will have to have to wait until um, the the war comes to a conclusion whatever that conclusion may be and um, but un unfortunately this is the type of sabotage that uh, that that has been engaged in uh, to try and uh, make advances in the war uh, so I do think from overall I think from an environmental perspective the war has been hugely hugely destructive if you think just the the, the amount of of um, Of musicians and weaponry that has been used, and 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 uh, so it is going to take uh, an immense effort to uh, reinstate and try and recover the land after after that incident, but generally after the war as well. Uh, so uh, again, uh, we are committed on a European level to try and help that recovery, uh, but it is going to take sustained investment, and there has been a number of of conferences uh, at which. The most recent one, which Taoiseach attended, um, to look at the post-recovery, uh, the recovery situation in Ukraine, and particularly in light of what happened uh, with the with the with the explosion of the of the dam. After the group put quite a few questions to the minister, it was his turn to take the hot seat and now put a question to the group. So, a question I'd like to put to you uh, is, and it would be useful from our perspective, is. What do you think of the government's response so far to the climate and biodiversity crisis? Do you think that we're doing enough? Do you think we're engaging enough with young people? And what do you think we could do better? I think we're not really doing much because our own zone layer is already damaged. And if we don't stop now, we're kind of have no earth to live on. I feel like that considering the size and population of Ireland, that we could be doing way more like... I know we're not exactly known for our sunny skies and beautiful weather, but we got wind, we got rain. We can use like wind power, we can use like high, whatever it is when you use the energy from the water. Just slipped my mind, but we could be doing more and I'm like, why aren't we, you know? Although the current government is doing more than I think all other governments in history, I'd still say it isn't exactly enough to deal with the climate crisis, especially considering what was previously said about how we are currently overshooting our carbon budget. In addition to that, I think that at present the state is suffering from a case of having conflicting priorities because uh, an example of this, I suppose, is how we are legally committed to you know, the climate action plan and all of that. However, when it comes to the nature restoration law, which you mentioned earlier, the, um, I believe... Fine Gael's European Party, the uh, European People's Party, decided to walk out on it over concerns 
to do with agriculture which have been disputed and um, at present I believe the Taoiseach and other members of Fine Gael have uh, told the party line on this and I understand that there are of course a lot of discussions happening surrounding the uh, nature restoration law and whether it would be good or not and my own personal view is that it's taking us this long to actually consider adopting a law like this. If we don't pass it, it'll take even longer to actually come up with an alternative, so we should pass it, but that's my own personal belief. But anyway, in short, I'd say that the government needs to sort out its priorities more and to sort of think of the bigger picture instead of current expedient political gain, or however you would like to say it. I think uh, people can do something more. They can... um produce new things with which uh, can climate can be more better and we need to um, stay our world war in um, in clean because it's also um, will be seized in our climate I think that the various initiatives the government are currently doing such as the rewetting of peatlands and the restoration of other natural environments as well as what was said about energy are good yeah if it's okay I'll just respond generally to the points and really excellent points that were made um, by everybody and I suppose yeah I, I'd, I'd agree you know and I've said it already I, I am concerned that we're not doing enough and we're not acting fast enough um, what we've been engaged in over the last three years is trying to get put in a raft of legislation around the climate uh, bill uh, also around um, our offshore renewable ambition and, and to ensure that if we're going to put offshore wind farms uh, that they don't impact on marine species so that what I'm doing in marine protected areas which um, the legislation is being finalised now that the that we're not going to sacrifice one over the other that we protect marine species and marine habitats uh, as well as meeting our objectives in offshore and Ireland actually could be a global leader in offshore renewables we could actually produce far far more energy than we need ourselves uh, and export an awful lot but because of the potential that's there but we can't do it uh, as i said at a risk of of uh, impacting on our marine biodiversity um and and definitely i i'd agree you know in the context of uh, the 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 rewetting of peatlands there's lots of really good work going on there and uh, and i suppose in relation to nature restoration law i can understand perhaps to a certain degree politically why Fine Gael and the EPP took a certain position and from being out there I was in Luxembourg last week listening to the uh, we, we were contributing and thankfully um, the Council of Ministers voted in favour uh, to move the, the, the um, NRL onto the next stage but the, the political position is set against elections next year, elections in some member states. Spain has an, an election on, on July 24th and uh, the Swedish presidency, which although is supposed to be leading on it, uh, their government voted against it last week. So there's lots of dynamics going on at a European level. And for me, it was interesting to see how those European dynamics uh, interact. Um, there's an important vote uh, this week as well. Uh, today is what? The 20th? So, yeah, tomorrow, an important vote tomorrow on it. Uh, at the Environment Council and an important vote by the Parliament. And if that all of that concludes successfully, it will move forward and hopefully with resolution towards the end of the year. But 
notwithstanding that, I have, I have been on record as saying that even if we can't get an agreement in Europe, we should proceed with our own nature restoration plan anyway. Uh, we're doing it, a lot of it anyway. We're doing a lot of work uh, with our peatlands, with our rivers. We're doing a lot of work reintroducing species. We'll be releasing more white-tailed sea eagles in a few weeks' time and then ospreys. Uh, we have, but at the same time, we have to do an awful lot of captive breeding of birds because we can't release them because the, the habitats aren't healthy. So we have a lot of uh, wading birds that are secured around six-foot perimeter fencing uh, that's electrified to keep out predators. And it's it's awful to have to do that. I'd love to be able to let these species out, these the curlews out, and let the the corncrakes out, and let them um, uh, breed as they should in 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 a in a restored nature. Uh, but it's not there. So we have so much more to do, and it is hugely challenging, as I said. But you know, I think it's really important uh, from young from your perspective that you continue to push us push the next government. I, when, um, I, I was conscious that we had a, a Citizens' Assembly on Biodiversity and I ran a parallel one for children and young people. And uh, their report was really amazing, absolutely amazing, because they told us exactly what they wanted us to do. And uh, so I feel that sense of responsibility, that burden of responsibility. And then, you know, at a European level, hopefully when the U- Ukraine war ends, we bring Ukraine and, and other countries, other accession states into the European family. And we have a greater opportunity to broaden that climate action uh, on a much broader scale because uh, Ukraine is an amazing uh, country from its natural heritage perspective and could contribute really positively towards uh, restoration of nature across Europe. The group are making some great moves with their questions to the minister and they're learning absolutely loads. As am I. I mean, I'm sitting there recording it all and I am taking it all in like a sponge. But they do want to know what they can do to make the people a little higher up hear their voices. Does the minister think that protesting works? Like, do you cry about it at night or is it just one year and out the other? Do, do I think protesting works, generally? Yeah, like when young people get, go out of their way to tell people that, hey, what you're doing is not right, we should change things. Like, do you take it to heart? Do you listen to it, or is it just you brush it aside? Um, I, I, I think it's really important. I think protest is a really important part of our democracy. Um, and I think, you know, I think I'd like... It, it, it's... I love to see, particularly on the, the climate side of it, and to see it done in a, in a really creative way that almost pokes fun at... Our, at our, you know, and, and, and I think that way, that's the way that gets attention, not... Uh, not necessarily disruptive protests. So I don't know if that answers your question fully, but I, I, I you know, I, there was many nights I came out of Leinster House and you have to pull your hood up because you're afraid, you know, because some of the protests, particularly during COVID, were very difficult. We were, we were overvoting in the, ele- in the convention centre and there was one night when we had to vote on, on measures around restrictions and thousands of people gathered and, and there were shining laser lights up into the convention centre as we were on. How are we going to get out of here? And uh, I put a hoodie up and cycle through it. And so, um, but it, it was, that is worrying, you know, the way that sometimes a protest can go from being useful and, and productive to maybe tipping over into something very dangerous. So, but it is an important part for us to go out and meet groups all the time outside Leinster House. And, and it helps, it does help inform our decision-making. How can young people help bring around a faster pace of change? Um, I, I, I think young people are already impacting the pace of change and it's, um, I, I, I do think um, 
as I said throughout this conversation, the pace of change is far too slow. So I, I think trying to ask us to picture an Ireland when you're my age, when you're 56, and what will it be like? It'll be very, if we do nothing, it'll be very silent. There won't be many birds in the sky. There won't be much. Our rivers will be completely polluted. Um, we might have lots of farm animals, and mostly farm animals, making up um, uh, our land. And we will have a, a warming climate. You see the, the the weather events we're having even this year. You saw the hailstones in, it was in Enniscorthy yesterday, um, or the, the extreme rainfall we've had in Kilkenny where there's flash floods. Or, and, and that's going that frequency is going to increase and increase and get worse and worse and sea levels are going to rise. So um, it's trying to put, ask you as young people to, for us to, to be put into, into your shoes. What, what are you inheriting? What are we passing on to you? Are we going to pass on a world that is, is safe for all living things or are we going to pass on a world that is completely in, inhabitable? Ireland might, Ireland might be... You know, in the, in the shorter term, might be a net beneficiary of climate change. You know, it might help us to grow more different types of food, and not just not just cows. And but um, in the longer term, you know, if we go past that magic one point five and head into two degrees, we're we're looking at a complete um, extinction, mass extinction of species. And like we always say, save the planet. The planet will survive in whatever format it will survive in. Um, and, and certain species will emerge true and it'll go on again, but we won't. And that's the... So really we're trying to save ourselves rather than the planet. Considering, Minister, the very stark reality you just painted for us there, why is there so much talk about this but so little action compared to what we need to do? Um, again, it goes back to politics. It goes back to... Um, it goes back to politics, but it also goes to behavioural change. And... Um, I think Professor Lund from the SRI does really fantastic work on the whole behavioural change part of it. And the, the, there's lots of research um, around almost like our, our response to this uh, in the media cycles. We saw, if you saw the, you know, the, the huge media attention that was given to the very unfortunate incident with the, with the, with the Ocean Gate uh, um, tragedy at, at the Titanic. And yet um, the the drowning of 500 migrants off a boat in the Mediterranean, uh, which is happening on a weekly basis. And, you know, fishers are are fishing human limbs in their bycatch now. You know, it, it, it's so... We as a species, you know, our response to what are very catastrophic events that perhaps we can't see, they're not tangible yet, but you know, we see them in the weather, really is maybe our bury, bury our heads in the sand. So there's the political leadership and then there's the really complex element of the behavioural change. So it's brilliant that we have climate officers and local authorities and biodiversity officers. A lot of really good work. I think it needs to happen at a local level. I think we need to localise everything, localise our, our food systems, localise our transport systems. Everyone needs to cycle and walk where they can. Walk where they can. So it's, it's, our response needs to, be, you know, needs to be a local one. And I think you know, these are big, huge global events that we, have, we can't influence, but actually we can. And we can do it by... 
by significant change in our own daily lives. So I'd like to leave a, a, a message of hope out of what has been a kind of, um, and I do think there's hope, and I do think that we have the capacity as a species to adapt and to change in a positive way. Um, and yeah, I think we will. So why progress is so slow? Uh, progress is slow for many reasons. I think that the main reason is that we've had such a distance to, to travel. We've come from very little action for many, many decades uh, up to most recently um, where we see the problem is so acute now we have to change really fast. So, I, I, And I think to do that, first of all, you need a legislative background. So the government has to bring in laws around climate, around nature, around circular economy, around transport. Um, around our, our planning system. So that part takes a long time. I've, I've learned that over the last three years. It can be painstakingly slow because you have to go to public consultation, then you have to, um, uh, laws have to be written and then you have to go through the doll. Uh, so that lead, that element of it is quite slow. And then there's the slow pace of change generally. Um, how, And yet, you know, you look what's happened in the last couple of years, you see what, the solar rooftops to see there's a massive um, uptake on, on people going for uh, solar panels there's a massive uptake on um, EVs I'm not sure if they're necessarily the answer but you know they're part of the solution but there is a massive uptake so I think con as consumers uh, people respond positively and we see you know the elimination of plastic waste we see the the um, the, the lot of reduction in 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 um, in consumption of certain Uh, damaging, polluting materials, a lot of that has happened actually quite rapidly. So, you know, in, in a relatively short period of time. So I do think we're moving in the right direction. We just need to move a lot faster. It's not just the participants that have a few questions for the Minister. Jacinta, the course coordinator from Ossery Youth, has a question to ask. Um, Minister, from, a, I suppose, a youth worker perspective, uh, you talk about how important it is to hear the voice of young people. I suppose, how can we do that better? Even from us as a youth organisations, from a school point of view, from yourselves through the government, how can we ingrain that? Like, is it important to even start? And I know you mentioned earlier that radical changes need to happen now, but for future generations, is it better to actually start from preschool age and ingrain this in people's mindset about how we need to actually do something from a climate point of view? But I suppose we're looking for, for tools and tips as to how to spread the word better with young people. Well, yes, I mean, I, the, yes, absolutely start at preschool level. I think you need lots more forest schools, outdoor preschools lead to educate young people to be nature smart and, and, be, and we're going to need armies of, of of conservation volunteers, of ecologists, of people, professionals who come through our education system who want to work on climate and nature. And, and, you know, 20 years ago, if you came out as a qualified ecologist out of UCC, there was no work. You might get a job as a biodiversity officer or you, if, if, you're, if they were employing biodiversity officers. Now uh, we can't, National Parks and Wildlife Service, we're competing with lots of other agencies and private companies for staff. So I'd say absolutely get... And this is where the future lies. I'm meeting Minister Harris this week to try and talk about that, to, to look at professions, but also apprenticeships and coming through as, as people who are going to work hands-on to restore nature. The, the bigger critical thing that I, I'm firmly of the view, having come from being outside the gates of Leinster House protesting, is that we need more young people to get out and protest and, and fight for change. And, um, you know, I, I think 
you, you do amazing work here in Ulster Youth. I've, I've worked here myself, and it's really fantastic that you, you're cons- constantly pushing the boundaries and engaging young people to become act- young activists and um, critical thinkers and become... Um, to, to be out there and advocate for change. But it will get to a point, I think, and it's what well, well, we're there, that we're going to need lots more people out protesting outside and fighting for change. Um, when the Nature Restoration Regulation was in trouble in Ireland, a, a big protest was taken, well, not huge, but a big, a reasonable protest was taken outside Leinster House and politicians went out to meet them. And that, I think that changed the temperature slightly on on, on how we as politicians inside the gates responded to it. So I, I do think, we, you know, I'm a huge, huge fan of Greta Thunberg and what she has achieved. And you can see how vested interests are now trying to um, trying to infiltrate on her legacy or what she, what she is doing and, or saying that it's not valid or it's not. And it is. And what she's done has just been immense, you know, but it's still not enough. I keep saying it's not enough, it's not enough. So what I'll say to you, Jacinta, in terms of a youth organisation, keep doing what you're doing. What you're doing with this programming is brilliant. It's, it's The more awareness, the more um, we can force public consciousness to, to, to rethink, I think, is, is hugely important. So keep doing what you're doing. Finally, we end on a positive note as we hear the group's hopes for the future. Okay, Minister, so we're going to ask the young people to put to you what their hopes are uh, for the future in relation to climate change. My hopes for the future is that the world will be a more accessible place for individuals such as myself who are physically disabled. Like, moving around is is difficult enough as it is. But, like, I hope that one day it will be easier. Um, I hope that we could generate salt water for, to use it instead of letting it... Um, uh, like rice generate a car that could generate salt water because electric cars most people don't want to use because um, it takes a long time to charge so why not generate with salt water My hope is that we manage to stick to 1.5 degrees Celsius of average warming um, Yeah, my hope is that the world will be more cleaner and we will use more um, things that will be um better for our world. It's so lovely and great to hear the hopes that the young people do have for the future in regards to climate change. All hoping it's going to get that bit better and we all take a bit more accountability for the things that we do that may harm the environment. I wanted to hear some more hopes for the future. So I asked some of the others from Ossery Youth. Uh, I would hope that the government and people in charge of our country would start to do more for the environment. Uh, at the moment they're kind of leaving it all sort of up in the air and I hope it'll be more of a focus for their funds and their attention. I hope that we can switch to cleaner energy sources sooner so then we aren't producing as much carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases as we currently are. I hope for the future of climate change that we'll be able to hopefully stop it and change it and if we can't stop it or change it, I hope that we'll be able to at least prevent it a couple of years. Now it's time to give the homework for this week and we really wanted to make it relevant to the Minister's visit. Ruth's about to tell us what the guys have to do for us next week. So we just want to thank you again, Minister, for joining us today. Um, we really found it 
very beneficial questions and answers from both yourself and from the group were absolutely brilliant. Um, each week the group have homework to do after their sessions. So the homework this week actually is for um, the group members to read a specific section of the government's climate change action plan and they'll revert the following week with comments that will be passed back to yourself as to how the government can ensure greater participation from young people. So that's the homework for this week, guys. I caught up with the minister afterwards to see how he found the chat and if he was doing all right after the grilling. I feel good. I knew that I, I have to say I found um, the uh, conversation really, really useful from a perspective of the work that we are trying to do in government. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't... I'm conscious too that we... I'm always conscious that we can't be tokenistic about this, about engaging with young people. The critical thing here is to engage in a meaningful way. Um, we did that with the, with the Young People's Assembly, and we would see that as a, as a really positive way forward on other issues, because uh, we designed a, a means and mechanism to engage with young people that is inclusive and brings, in, and brings on board, and the views are taken on board. So I think from this, absolutely fascinating, the questions are really, really brilliant and, and challenging, hugely challenging for me, um, you know, to really uh, force me to think and, and critically evaluate our performance in government. And um, that can only be a good thing, you know. So I'll take with me from uh, this conversation the opportunity to bring back to my government colleagues to say, actually, we're not doing enough here. We've, we've lots, lots more that we can do. And we need to engage more and engage better with young people. Now, we can't finish an episode without hearing our climate curiosities. It's my favourite time of the week. So let's head over to Trish to hear this week's climate curiosity. Climate curiosities, exploring the wonders of our changing world. Did you know glaciers around the world are melting at an alarming rate due to rising temperatures? Some could disappear within our lifetime, leading to sea level rise and impacting communities worldwide. Cutting down on greenhouse gases slows down global warming, so try to walk, bike and carpool where you can. Climate Curiosities, exploring the wonders of our changing world. That just about wraps up today's episode. The minister seemed to enjoy it just as much as the group did, which is always great to hear. Be sure to join us next week and we'll focus on the home and just how you can reduce the energy in it. Chat then. You've been listening to a journey through the climate crisis on KCLR. To hear this episode again and more, download the KCLR app. A journey through the climate crisis is funded by commissioning the man with a television license fee.